Thank you for listening to our sermon podcast. I pray this week's sermon will guide you into a deeper understanding of the greatest news in the entire world, the gospel of Jesus Christ. We value the local church at Central Baptist, so while we are thrilled that you are streaming this sermon, we want to make sure that this never replaces your commitment to the local body of believers. If you are in the Maysville area, I am personally inviting you to be a guest at one of our weekly services. Come and join us. I promise you will love it. We are a church committed to loving God, loving each other, and loving our world. So if God is using this to impact your life, please consider partnering with us in spreading the message of Jesus to everyone on the earth. I hope this message helps fix your eyes on Jesus and drives you deeper into the gospel. One, you know, it's a number that seems small and insignificant. I mean, when you're presented with a plate full of cookies, right? Who only eats one cookie? I mean, if I were to, to, to offer one of our, our teenagers the opportunity to, to come and to mow my yard and offer to, to pay them, who's going to do it for, for one dollar? You're going to think I'm nuts. It's 2019, Right? <laughs> I mean, what's one push-up, what good is that going to do me? You know, only one seems like just a, a waste of my time. But the Bible consistently speaks of one. Right? One pearl of great price. One lost sheep. One wayward son. See, followers of Christ... We often overlook the value of one, right? Just one invitation to church, one message of hope, one neighbor, one coworker, one friend. Can you name that one person who has come to Christ through your invitation or witness? Bill Bright, he's a the founder of the Campus Crusade for Christ, which is now known as, as Crew. Um, and he, he wrote a popular evangelism book and, and track called The Four Spiritual Laws. Maybe you're familiar with that. And he, he also produced the Jesus film, which has been used to, to around the world to, to lead people to Christ. And, and in his research, Bright had found that only 2% of American believers regularly share their faith with others. You know, I want you this morning to, to think about your one. Right? The one that is posted up there in the back of our, our foyer. If you have not yet filled out the, the card with your one, stop by the back of the sanctuary. We've got those bookmarks and those cards and write down the name of your one. In fact, I received a card this morning. It's in my Bible and I'm going to hang it up there on, on the wall. Because your one, that's the person that God has laid on your heart that needs the gospel. Odds are though that, that that one person is it's been on your mind long before you wrote their name down just a couple of weeks ago. And if you haven't shared the gospel with your one, the question I have is what is it that is keeping you from sharing with them? And that's what we're going to talk about this morning. 
As we see in the book of Romans, chapter 1, verse 16, the Apostle Paul declares, For I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes. See, there is power in the gospel. You know, we're not just kind of communicating some good ideas for someone to adopt, to, to, to apply to their life, to help them to, to be better people. No, the gospel is the power for salvation. But who is that salvation for? Well, Paul tells us that it is for everyone who believes. See, the gospel has the power to save your one. And in fact, I've, I've spoken with, with several of you over the last couple of weeks about your, your ones, and, and you've showed me, you've told me that, that you know, some of them are, are very far away from God at the moment. Others may, you know, there may have been a point in, in their time, when, in their life, when they had embraced the gospel, but for, for some reason, one or the other, they, they have kind of disconnected from the church. For others, oh, maybe they've never had a relationship with Jesus. And, and regardless of where your one is right now, the need is the same. They need the gospel. This past week I was visiting with an, an elderly man who uh, has not been in church for the majority of, of his life. And he mentioned to me that, that when he was about 12 or 13 years old at his Baptist church that he attended in a different town, a different state, he, he said that, I know that I was saved then and I was, was baptized. We had a good talk about that and, and I truly, I believe in that he was saved when he was a young teenager. But as he, he said, he said, you know what, though I've backslid quite a bit since then, <laughs> I shared with him the story of, of the prodigal son who had kind of rejected his own family for a period of, of time and he, and he spent the inheritance that he had received and he had nothing left. He spent a good period of time living the good life, having a lot of fun according to the world's standards. But yet he never found the fulfillment that he was looking for. And he got to the point where he had nothing left so bad that he was eating with the pigs. I haven't been around a lot of pigs that, that weren't on my plate, but I know there's some pretty nasty creatures. <laughs> they don't eat the same kind of foods that, that, that we eat, right? But here this son is eating in the troughs with the pigs. Having nothing left, he, he crawls back home to his parents thinking that, you know, what? what's his dad going to do? Is he going to even recognize who he is? Is he going to, you know, is he, is he going to, you know, chastise him for, for, for wasting all of his inheritance? Is he going to, you know, what is he going to even allow him to come back home? And, and in the, I mean, like the perfect picture of humility, this son comes to his father. What does he say? He says, Father, will you bring me on as one of your servants? just so that I can be a part of this also. But is that what the, 
the father says is, sure, you know what? You know what? Hey, you really have messed up in your life. You know, I'm, I will, just to, because you are blood kin, I will allow you to, to be one of my slaves. Is that what the father did? No, it's not. The father welcomed his son with open arms. And he prepared a feast for this son and put on the finest of, of robes. Because that son was a member of the family. See, that's, that's the good news of the gospel. It is that regardless of where we are in life, if we repent and we believe in the gospel, then he will welcome us back with open arms as his sons and daughters. This morning, we're going to spend some time in, in, in two passages, John chapter 1 and Matthew chapter 13. Go ahead and, and uh, start in John uh, 1. Take your finger there in Matthew 13. You know, a couple of weeks ago, we, we looked at, at Jesus calling the first disciples, where he simply said, hey, you come and follow me. Well, today we're, we're going to look at the calling of, of some of the other disciples, but from a different perspective. Because we saw the before, they, Jesus was the one that was doing the calling, whereas now we're going to see the disciples inviting others to join in their group. So read here with me, John chapter 1, we're going to start in verse 45, going through verse 49. John chapter 1, verse 45 through 49. We read, Philip found Nathanael, and he said to him, we have found him of whom Moses in the law and also the prophets wrote, Jesus of Nazareth, the son of, of Joseph. Nathanael said to him, Can anything good come out of Nazareth? Philip said to him. And then Philip said to him, Come and see. Jesus saw Nathanael coming toward him and said of him, Behold, an Israelite indeed, in whom there is no deceit. Nathanael said to him, How do you know me? Jesus answered him, Before Philip called you, when you were under the fig tree, I saw you. Nathanael answered him, Rabbi, you are the Son of God. You are the King of Israel. We see here that, that Jesus had called Philip and now Philip was going out inviting Nathaniel to, to join in with them. As I was kind of looking at this passage, kind of gaining some insights from it, one of the things that I saw is that, that often the best evangelists are the new believers. Those that have recently accepted Christ, one, because they have a burning passion in their heart. They, 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 they can taste the gospel on their, on their lips and they are eager to share with others. Also, they, you know, they, they've got uh, a lot of non-Christian friends, right? And so they have a, a big pond to fish from. Whereas those of us in the church, as we tend to spend more time over the years in the church, then we, we kind of lose touch with, with unbelievers. But we see in this passage kind of a, a difference between Jesus calling Peter, James, and John. Uh, in, in that sense... 
we saw that they were coming to follow this Jewish rabbi. And I shared a couple of weeks ago on how they were captivated by this rabbi and they were wanting to become his, uh, their, their, his disciples. But here we, we notice how, how Philip addresses Jesus. He says, we have found him. This isn't just a, a Jewish rabbi, but this is him of whom Moses in the law and also the prophets wrote. Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. See, Jesus was the coming of the Messiah. Jesus was foretold long before Jesus actually walked on the face of the earth. So Philip, excited that he has found that Jesus of Nazareth proclaims that to Nathanael. says, come on and, and join in with us. But Nathanael wasn't completely convinced. Because he said, he comes from Nazareth? What good can, can come out of, of Nazareth? I mean, Nazareth was not a likely place for a king to come out of. It is a small town of largely uneducated, just peasant type of, of people. It's like, what kind of good can, can somebody come out of, of Nazareth? But we see, though, that, that Philip didn't try to convince him from an intellectual level. He didn't, he didn't really even, you know, go into a lot of biblical passage showing that, you know, this lines up with this and this is this. And so it must be the Messiah. What does Philip say to him? He simply says, come and see. So Philip, so Nathaniel goes with Philip and they, they travel and they go to see this Jesus. And when they when Nathaniel saw him, Jesus actually saw Nathaniel first and he says, What? He says, Look, I see an Israelite in whom there is no deceit. And then Nathaniel's like, How do you know me? And he's like, Before Philip called you, when you were under that fig tree, I saw you. While it is Philip that invited Nathanael to come and see Jesus, it is Jesus, the one who called him to become his disciple, to come and to follow him. See, when Nathanael, through the invitation of Philip, was invited and exposed to Jesus, he believed. So this morning in your bulletin, there is a brief outline there just to help you to kind of follow along. We have several points that we can, we can see as from Philip and Nathaniel is how are we to be effective witnesses for Christ? And the first thing we see is that we must commit to being an intentional witness. We must commit to being an intentional witness witness you know, have you ever heard the saying that nothing happens by by accident now, you don't just accidentally win a football game do you you know i mean i i really wish that that last night the cats that that those receivers in the end zone would have just accidentally caught those passes that they dropped right Wish the kicker would have just accidentally lapped the ball, just veer a little bit to the right so that it would have went through the, the uprights. Right? You don't win a game because of, by accident. You know, witnessing to, to others about Christ, 
requires intentionality on our part. It just it's not something that is going to, to happen naturally. We must, we must work, we must prepare, we must focus on uh, witnessing. It also requires accountability for you to be able to, to stick with that commitment to share the gospel. I mean, it's good to have partners, other people along with you to, to, to help you in this mission of being a witness. We also need to have the, the maturity as a disciple maker in order to preserve the mission and to point other people to the life transforming hope in the gospel. See, those who accept Christ's identity, they will also embrace this mission, which is to share Jesus with others. And I, maybe you teachers, you can relate. My mom, I know that as, as a teacher, uh, every Sunday night, she prepares her lesson plans for the week. Now, at their school, and I don't know if it's the case here, but she has to submit those plans to, to the principal every Sunday night. And I don't know if the principal looks at them or but, but but she has to send those lesson plans into to the principal. Now, my mom's been teaching a long time. She knows the subject matter. She knows how to, to teach. She's a good teacher. Her students love her. But it's not just uh, good enough in, the, in their, their school system just to say, you know what, today we're going to just uh, do some learning. Right? You know, it's, uh, no, you have to prepare to, to teach, right? I mean, I found that out even as I'm coaching Riley's soccer team at the Boys and Girls Club. And when you're dealing with five and six-year-olds, if you do not come into practice with a plan, it is going to be the most miserable hour of your life. <laughs> because you can't just say, all right, we're going to come out there and we're going to play soccer for an hour, right? Because after about 30 seconds, they're already saying, when do we get our snack? <laughs> you know, <it's, laughs> we, you've got to have a plan. Right? And, and so with my, my mother, in her case, the principal... Requires some accountability. You have to submit those plans to the principal so that that they can can either review them or just to make sure that that you're doing it, that you're fulfilling what you're supposed to do. You know, and evangelism and and Sunday school. We think back that the strongest when we had the strongest Sunday school and evangelism in our churches was was back really in the 1950s and and 60s. Reality, I mean, Sunday school back in, in those decades, that is where the, the gospel was shared and new people were invited to, to come to. It was in this, these small groups, your Sunday school, you invited people to come to be a part of, of Sunday school with you. In fact, we still use the envelopes and I'm pretty sure that they haven't changed a whole lot since the 1950s and 60s that even now... You've got different check boxes on those, you know, how you're, you're offering, right? Did you read your Bible study, uh, Sunday school lesson this week? Did you do your daily Bible reading? But there's also another box on there, and it says, contacts made, right? Well, the purpose of that is so that you are out there engaging other people to share the gospel with them, but also to be inviting them. But slowly, just slowly over the years, I mean, it's been 50 years We've lost 
the intentionality. Now, to be honest, evangelism is rarely talked about in our Sunday school classes unless that is, you know, the topic of, of the lesson. And, honestly, as kind of a, a result of that, we have seen convention-wide that numbers in Sunday school attendance as well as baptisms have both slowly declined over the previous decades. May we become intentional in our Sunday school about witnessing. So one way, a practical way we can do that Sunday school teachers and in our classes is to talk about your one. Like to have in your prayer time, yes, go through the prayer list and pray over especially the physical needs in your, in your class, but have a specific time to pray over your one. Ask people to, to share about the good things maybe that has come out from sharing with your one to celebrate the victories, especially if that one comes to faith in Christ or they come to church or, or, or they are baptized. But also it's good to kind of share in the difficulties, the struggles you're having in sharing with your one because man, when we are together and we encourage one another and build each other up, it gives you greater strength than you have when you're isolated on your own. So celebrate those victories. Encourage those who are struggling in witnessing to their one because we must be intentional if we are going to be effective witnesses. Secondly, we see that we must go and tell. We must go and tell. See, it was Philip. He, he went and he told Nathaniel about Jesus. Now, if you are here this morning and you are a Christian, you are a follower of Christ, then somebody had to go to you and to share the gospel with you. Or you got to have both the go but you also have to have the tell. They go hand in, in hand. You know, we've got just a few months left in this year. It's hard to believe. And, you know, I think, is today the first day of fall? I believe, yeah. And it's like 90 degrees outside today. But all right, we only have just a few months left in, in this year. And so I want I to challenge all of us, me included, sending these last few months Will you commit to doing just one or, or more of, of the following here? And so what each disciple, each Christ follower, each church member, would you be intentional about inviting one unchurched or unsaved person to breakfast, to lunch, to dinner, out to coffee, or just to, out to the golf course, out to just hang out? And during that time, would you just share your testimony? To share the, the gospel story with them. And you may be like, you know what, I've, I've never done that. I'm not sure how to go about to, to share the, the, the gospel story. You know, I've never really been, been trained to, to do that. Or maybe I have, but it's been so long that so yeah, I've kind of forgotten how. Well, we're going to help. In Sunday nights in October, all right? If you're not a regular Sunday night attender, make October the month that you're coming because we are going to equip you to be able to share the gospel in an easy and an effective way 
way that whether it's a kid or it's the oldest of adults is able to do it. It requires no materials. You can even just use a napkin that you get at Bob Evans that's holding your coffee cup. All right? you, can, you can use that to share the gospel. Because it'd be kind of, you know, not, not good of me to, to tell us that we need to do something, but yet not equip us to be able to do it. It'd be like telling a football player to go out, you know, out and, 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 and hit the guy without putting the helmet on him first. Right? It's, it's not safe. Right? So we want to equip you so that we'll be looking for that in Sunday nights in October. So will you just invite an unchurched or unsaved person to, out to eat, breakfast, lunch, dinner, whatever, and... And just share your testimony and tell the gospel story. Secondly is invite one family in your neighborhood to your home. We kind of talked about it that in our previous Sunday night Bible study, gospel above all is the, uh, man, the, the effectiveness of inviting people into your home to share a meal with each other. Somebody in your neighborhood, honestly, you may not even know their name because we know we don't get to know our neighbors like we we used to. But just go and knock on the door and say, hey, and if you don't know them, just say, oh, Paul, I've lived here for this, so and such years and I don't know your name. That I'm, I'm so sorry. <laughs> but I want to make that right. It's like we would love to have you and your family come over for, for dinner on, on such and such day. And during that, that time, maybe you or somebody in your family can just share your gospel story of how you came to faith in Christ. Thirdly is, invite one unchurched or one unsaved person to come to church with you. To attend church with you, just as Peter and Andrew, and uh, Peter invited Andrew and Philip invited Nathaniel to come and meet Jesus. Why don't you just invite, maybe it is your one, maybe it's somebody else in your, that you're thinking of, just to to come to be a part of a church service with you and sit with them and maybe even take them out to lunch afterwards. So we have three different ways. If you're an overachiever, type A personality, do all three of them, all right? But would you commit? We've got plenty of time here between now and in the end of the year is to commit to either inviting a, your one out to breakfast, lunch, or dinner and just to, to share with them. One thing that I found works well and I shared it, did with this, the, the elderly gentleman I met the other day is, you know what, do you have any kind of faith background? And it's amazing how they'll just open up. Especially somebody that, you, that, is, that kind of grew up in church and kind of got away with. And, and that'll tell you a lot right there. And then you can find connections to that between that and, and yourself as, as well. So will you also and or invite Somebody to a family to your to your house to eat dinner with you or to come over for a cookout on a Saturday and watch some football together. Somebody in your neighborhood. And would you invite an unchurched or unsaved person to, to come to church with you one Sunday morning? As we see in the book of Matthew, you can flip over there if you if you pick that up. Um, Matthew chapter uh, 13 verses 45 and 46 Jesus says again the kingdom of heaven is is like a merchant in search of fine pearls who on finding one pearl of great value 
went and sold all that he had and bought it. We see the word one, right? One pearl of great value. And this parable that Jesus shared, it shows the, that, this, that this man realized, the merchant, what he, he had. He found this one pearl, right? And that is the gospel of Jesus Christ for us. And it was of great value. And what did he do? He sacrificed everything that he had. And he bought it. Here, um, it is going to take some sacrifice to, to go and to, to tell. It's going to maybe make you a little uncomfortable. Right? It's going to take some time. Right? You're going to have to carve out an hour or two to go out with somebody or an evening to invite somebody to your house. It's going to maybe even cost some money, all right? If you invite somebody over to your home, don't have, you know, ramen noodles and peanut butter and jelly sandwiches. <laughs> you know, hey, fix something good for them. It may cost you a little bit of money. Uh, it may make you uncomfortable, feel awkward and, and charity. You may have to kind of prepare. You may have to, to study up. You may even have to, to write out your own testimony and, and maybe kind of memorize it so that, you know, when it comes time to share it, you're not kind of fumbling over your, yourself or you may need to, to come to the Sunday night training so that, that you're able to, to effectively to share the gospel with them. But the thing is, is that as this man did, is he, he found what he had of great value, the one pearl, and he sold everything that he had to buy it. What are you willing to do for your one person? Thirdly, we see that uh, we must recognize and repent of excuses. We must recognize and repent of excuses. Pastor uh, Johnny Hunt, he's a, a longtime pastor, First Baptist Church of Woodstock, Georgia, and has recently become the vice president at the North American Mission Board. He heads up the evangelism office because uh, several years ago, uh, the Southern Baptist Convention realized that uh, we have not been paying enough attention to evangelism strategically from a convention standpoint. And so they, they've brought on Pastor Johnny to kind of head this up. And, and in his study, he, he kind of define, identifies 10 excuses that, that we have when it comes to, to sharing uh, the, the gospel. And so as I, I share with these, I'm not pinpointing certain people. I don't know what you struggle with, what you don't. I know that I struggle with several of them. So I pray as I, I share some of these with you that, that the Holy Spirit will just work in your heart to see what do you need to repent of. The first one we, we see is, is spiritual lethargy. Spiritual lethargy. Oftentimes in, in the winter, usually one time, whether it's the flu or not, I get flu-like like symptoms. Anybody ever kind of struggle? Nothing wipes you out like, like having the flu, right? I mean, you become so lethargic. And you get to the point, I, and I know, thankfully, you know, we have Netflix now. You can just lay in the bed and watch. But even then, I'll, I can only watch a little bit, and you have to turn it off, and then you have to, to sleep and take a nap, and then you wake up, and you pick it back up where you left off. You can't really eat anything. And you, don't, you don't even have an appetite to eat. And, then, and you might get over the, the sickness, but it takes you several days, right, to, 
to get the energy to even be able to get up out of bed and to, to take a shower. But the same thing can, can happen to us spiritually as well. And it happens when we, when we fail to obey the word of, of God. In Sunday school, we were kind of talking about how we must not just be hearers of God's word, but we also must be doers. Oftentimes, and I don't know if you're this way or not, but I know what I need to do. That's not the problem. It's not the knowing part. It's, it's the doing part. And when we fail to obey God, then we, we become spiritually lethargic. And so a lack of growth inevitably leads to a diminished desire to share Christ with others. So if you don't really have a desire to share the gospel, maybe you need, maybe you're a little spiritually lethargic and, and you need to, to come out of that lethargy. Secondly, you see in, in society we, we have this growing inclusiveness. You know, kind of the prevailing opinion in society, right, is that all religions lead to, to God. You know, maybe you've heard it put in other ways. You know, we're all going to the same place. Just different people have different ways of, of, getting, of getting there. And so sometimes this view affirms that Jesus is not, is not the only way to salvation, but maybe he can be found in, in other good, good religions. And while we would all here in our church probably reject this idea we believe john 14 6 right jesus is the way the truth and the life no one comes to the father but through him but it's it's this subtle belief and honestly it starts with with other people influencing us that somehow we can just say well you know what he you know i I don't know i didn't really see a lot of christian fruit in his in his life but but he was a good person and we can begin to think that good followers will just, they'll make it out, make it to heaven outside of true Christian conversion. That's why I say the person that really has been out of church for, for decades, they need the gospel just as that person that, that is, claims to be, you know, an atheist or something because you nor I can look into the heart of another person. But it is the gospel of Jesus Christ that says, and if they have never truly repented and believed in the gospel, then they need to hear it, and the Holy Spirit will convict them of their sin. Fourthly, thirdly, <laughs> we see this disbelief in, in hell. It's kind of similar to this growing inclusiveness. Now this one here undermines the urgency of placing one's faith in, in Christ alone. You know, we... We must believe that one must escape the wrath of God and that Jesus is the only refuge that we can have in that we believe that hell is real and it is the eternal punishment of those who do not believe. I mean, if we truly believe that people are dying and going to hell, does that, that change your sense of urgency that you need to, to have? I shared in Sunday school a friend of mine from, from Scotland. She's 31 years old. She's a pastor. She's a very devout believer. But she suddenly passed away this week, leaving behind her husband and two young daughters. I think somebody that's a healthy 31-year-old has got many years left, many years to serve the Lord, but 
Life can be taken from us just like that, suddenly and unexpectedly. I always say that if you got a pulse, then you still have the ability to repent and believe. But for some people, when that life is over, it's done. So that should change our, our course. In fact, now, with that, and we have a burden because of the reality of hell, but it's not our job to save people. In fact, I'm on a Facebook group for pastors, and one pastor had talked about his father who recently passed away. And he said, I shared the gospel with him time and time again. But he never trusted in Jesus. And yes, he he grieved for his father because he did not repent and believe. But he can know that he was faithful to what God had called him to do because he obeyed the call to share the gospel with him. It was his job, the father's job, to repent and believe, and he he chose not to. Fourthly, we see busyness. And I, think this is, I struggle with this, and I think a lot of us do. See, it's the unchurched. They, they need us to, to tell them about Jesus. You know, this, it's got to be on our to-do list. We make to-do lists of all kinds of things. Things not to forget. We go to the grocery store. Make sure we have meals planned out for the week. Make sure we have where the kids are going this week for that practice and that game. And make sure that at work we're getting everything done that we're supposed to get done. We even do to-do lists to exercise because if we don't, then, you know what, we'll just forget and we'll get busy. But we must put sharing the gospel on our to-do list. I mean, what priority do you have in reaching the lost? You know, I saw recently somebody posted on Facebook about kind of talking about how, you know, back in the day we had, you know, more people were in church and that kind of, kind of thing. And it's true. And, and he said, well, but back then we didn't have as many things to do then. You know, the stores were closed and we didn't have to, you know, we didn't have to, uh, to, to worry about that kind of thing. And as I'm reading that, I'm thinking, that's true. But now we have the ability, we have to choose. Who are we going to serve? Are we going to serve the Lord or are we going to serve these other, other things? I had a professor tell us in class, and it was in, in, in Greek because I struggled with learning vocabulary. It is not fun to do that. And, uh, but he told us to kind of admonish us a little bit. He said, we all do what we want to do. We do what we want to do, right? And I'm sure you've experienced that. I know I've experienced that. If, if, if you want to do well in Greek, then you're going to have to make it a priority to study the vocabulary and to do it right. We do what we want to do. Yes, other things do compete for our time, but we always make it a point to do what we want to do. So may we put being a gospel witness on our to-do list and make it something that we want to do. Fifthly, we see fear of rejection. Research shows that only one in four persons, though, will be resistant to faith discussions. And honestly, that's been my experience as well. It may not even be that high. That 75% of people are, are open to hearing. No, and, and sometimes, even most of the time, I'm rejected in sharing the gospel. It's just, you know, I just don't want to hear about that. I'm like, Okay, I mean, if they don't want to hear about it, then move on to the next person. Don't force it on them. But few people are going to be in, have an antagonistic attitude to, to the gospel. And even those that do reject the gospel, they're not rejecting you. They're rejecting the message that you're proclaiming. 
Because the anger is often just a reflection of something that has happened in, in their past. Don't be afraid of, of rejection. Again, it's not up to us. We're just to be faithful to share and leave the results up to God. Seven, we see it's the... Or six, sorry, the desire to be tolerant. You know, I mean, I'm going to just be honest. In some sense, the gospel is intolerant. I know that's not a popular thing to be intolerant now, but the gospel at some level is intolerant. All right, the one true God exists and insists that there can be no other gods. He is a jealous God. And the Christian message says that, that there is a narrow way, right? And that no other name under heaven can be saved. And Jesus himself said, you can only come to the Father through me. So we call this the exclusivity of the gospel. But where the gospel is Tolerant is that anyone can be saved if they repent and they believe. So the gospel is for your family member. It's for your neighbor, your co-worker. It's for the, the person in Africa, in China, around the world. It is from the hardest of hearts. The gospel is for everyone who repents and believes. Seven, we all see though... If, Losing the habit of witnessing. I think this goes in with the, the busyness. You know, for, for many reasons, maybe we've, we've quit witnessing. We see that in the case in our churches, right? In the 50s and 60s, it was a focus. We, we sought to, to, to share the gospel. We, we made it a point to talk about it in Sunday school. You, you put how many contacts you made, and, and we, we focused on it. Witnessing is a discipline, right? But it can be regained. And as I think about my... My dad, hardly a week goes by that he doesn't text me or call me and, and tell me about somebody that he recently shared the gospel with. To be honest, their church reflects that. Every year they're baptizing 30, 40 people a year. Whereas the average in our churches is, church, uh, I mean, nationwide is about six or so. Uh, you know, in fact, just this past week he shared, him, I mean, he's just turned, he's 61 years old. He is not a, a young, hip kind of guy, although maybe he tries to be a little too much. But, uh, but he, he called me and, and, and he said, you know, this, this Thursday he uh, invited the local football team to come to church. They, they showed the movie Overcomer. I know several of you have, have seen it and talked about how much it has, has blessed you. And, and, and he said, we had 80 middle and high school football players come and, and watch this movie. But now, one thing about Dad is it's, it's not just about the movie. He is intentional not only in sharing the gospel, but in calling them to respond. And he said, so at the end of the movie, he, he gave the gospel for him. And he said, I mean, I've been praying. He said, I was telling other people in our church to pray at this specific time because if you get a group of middle school and high school boys together, you can know it can be kind of a rowdy bunch, right? And he said it was amazing how God worked. He said at the end of the movie, they were completely silent. And they hung on every word that he said. And he said at the end he prayed. He said, if you want to receive Christ tonight, I want you to stand up. And he said, now those of you that have already believed and been baptized, hey, you guys are good. Don't, don't stand up. You know, this is for those that have never been saved, never put their faith in Christ. And when he called them to respond, 30 young boys stood up. All because he has the habit of, 
of witnessing. That's a part of, of who he, he is. He always is looking for opportunities to, to do that. And, and so now he would say, though, it didn't just happen overnight. He said, I've spent the last five to ten years going to every single football game, every single basketball game, volleyball game, as many as I can go to where I have built relationships, not just with the players, but with the coaches and with the parents that, that they're willing to, to come. We also see, number eight, that we have a, a lack of accountability. And it's just simple. When, when you have somebody holding you accountable, it can increase your zeal for witnessing. I am preaching the greatest accountability that I have is Sunday is coming. There's been some days where it's like, I just don't know if I have a sermon, sermon in me. <laughs> but I know that Sunday is coming, right? When I'm done here, i got to start for next Sunday, right? Because, you know, may, there may be a week where you, you, you kind of let me slide by, but after too long, you're like, Adam, what are you doing, right? I mean, this is your job to come and preach. It's accountability. Accountability can help us to give us the fuel and the passion to witness. And then nine, we can see that we have a failure to invite. When was the last time that you invited an unchurched person to church? Have you ever offered to take somebody to church or to meet them at, at church? I mean, think about it. it really, it's, it's a simple thing, right? That doesn't even call, you're already going to church. You don't have to carve out any more time. All you're doing is saying, hey, why don't you come to, to church with me this morning? Just this simple gesture can have a significant impact. And then lastly, the church not intent on reaching the lost. It said, and this is the numbers that Johnny Hunt is, is saying here, is that it takes 85 church members to reach an unsaved person. That's a pretty terrible ratio, isn't it? 85 to reach one. Now, Basically what they're saying is that out of that 85, only one person is actually inviting and sharing the gospel. He said that churches must regain their passion for the lost. On Wednesday night in a prayer meeting, we were kind of dreaming about our church. And I offered the question, I said, picture, when was the last time, or when did you see this church the fullest that it's ever been? Somebody said, well, it was probably in the, maybe like in the 1960s or so said it was so crowded that the balcony was full. We had people everywhere, young kids and, and youth everywhere. And I said, what was it like? Man, it was exciting to come and to, to be at church. Now, we, we do a lot of great things here at Central Baptist. Oh, so many good and great things. But I am convinced that the future of our church hinges on whether or not we are intent on reaching the lost. So I want to leave you with, with three questions. Will you be intentional? Will you be accountable? And will you be mature as a disciple maker? Would you pray with me please? Heavenly Father, we, we thank you for your word. God, we're thankful for you saving us. For the power of the gospel, how, 
can save us, it can save anyone. God, I pray if there's any here this morning that has not yet trusted in you for salvation, that today would be the day of their salvation, that they would repent of their sin and that they would put their faith in the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. God, I pray for all of us that we would be intentional with our one because we know that you place such great value on just one soul. Pray that we would be accountable so that we would be faithful to, to carrying out this command that you have given us. God, I pray that all of us would make concerted effort to continue to grow as your disciples. It's in the name of Jesus Christ we pray. Amen. God is inviting you to be a part of this story He is writing throughout the ages to come. He is offering salvation to you today, which is your invitation to the rescue God offers. You can embrace the rescue of God by simply admitting your need to God, asking Him to forgive you, trusting in Jesus alone to rescue you, and following Jesus Christ, the King of your life and faith from this day forward. If you would like to give your life to Jesus, go to God in prayer and confess your need for Him and that you choose to follow Him. If you have chosen to follow Jesus, please let us know. We want to continue to pray for you and to send you some resources to help you to grow in your faith. Well, I hope you enjoyed this sermon, and I look forward to seeing you in person at one of our weekly services. Could you do me a favor? Please like our Facebook page at facebook.com slash and share or comment on the things that we post because it helps others to hear about Jesus. God bless.